0: Well, good morning, Redemption, happy Easter, what a day. If you would grab your Bibles now and turn to John chapter 20. Now, as you're doing that, uh, if you're anything like me, you are fired up, right? You are excited for everything that Easter Sunday means for us as Christ followers, for us as a church. I always like to think of this as the biggest Sunday of the year for us. But you know, even as I say that, uh, I got to be really honest with you out of the gate here that i I just miss being together for this, right when you you get to see and experience everyone singing and and celebrating and, and the joy in the empty tomb i I don't think that can be replaced by what we're experiencing uh today and to and to to miss that to 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 long for that all of that is is really good. And I got to say that, you know, in the same breath that I say all of that, I'm not going to let any of it, you know, ruin my joy or cause me to despair in any way because of the very fact that the tomb is empty. Christ is risen, right? Our ultimate hope, our ultimate joy is is tied to that stunning reality. Hey, sure, it might be a bit of an issue that we're not all together for this. But let's not forget that our biggest issue, sin, all of that has been taken care of. It has been resolved through the resurrection by what Jesus Christ did. He crushed sin forever. The power of sin. We have been set free. That is our hope. That is our joy. That's our joy today. That's our joy tomorrow and every other day, no matter what our circumstances Uh, might hold. And so what do I want to do right now is I want to pray. I invite you to join me in that as we anchor our hope and our joy back into what happened on Easter Sunday. Join me as I pray, Lord. We come before you uh, right now, Lord, and we exalt in the risen Christ. Lord, we know that this is without question the most uh, important event in human history, Lord. Nothing else even comes close to touching it because as Jesus Christ. Uh, breathed again and rose and walked out of the tomb. Lord, sin's power was obliterated, Lord, which means uh, that we are not held in bondage to our sin. We can know you, be forgiven and walk in newness of life. And so God, these are the things that we wanna celebrate today. We wanna magnify Jesus. We wanna give you glory. We wanna express our joy and our love and our thanks to you. And so Lord, I pray that your spirit would be stirring us up, even though we're all at home right now, we're not all under one roof, Lord, I pray that that would not dim our passion and our gratitude to you. So, Lord, would you do all of these things? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we get started here, uh, I just want to take a quick second and uh, welcome you if you are new with us. See, on Easter Sundays that's typically when we have you know more guests with us and, and sometimes people that aren't accustomed to attending church even if that might be online as it is today and so just want to welcome you and thank you for uh, coming and and for for being a part of all of this uh, today and, and really what I want to do is just take a moment here to bring you up to speed on where we're at see we're jumping in on Easter Sunday it's really the conclusion to this amazing event uh, but it was just three days ago on Good Friday uh, that we took a look at how Christ was crucified. On a cross, and how how his death uh, opened up the opportunity for you and I now to have direct access into a relationship with God. Okay, he paid the debt that our sins owed, so there will be no more barrier between us and God anymore. All of that is is removed. Okay, so that now if you and I would repent, if we would confess and admit our sins before God and believe or trust that what Jesus Christ did on the cross and through his resurrection, if we believe that that was for, uh, for us on our behalf, we would be forgiven. We would be, de- be declared righteous by God as an act of grace, as a gift because he loves us so much. Okay, it treated as though we accomplished what Christ actually did uh, in His death and in His resurrection. You see, the the moment that you become a Christ follower, a Christian, that's exactly what happens. Okay, your your sin gets gets effectively transferred to Him. Okay, which was which was you know paid for on the cross and His righteousness his perfection his holiness that gets that gets transferred to your account okay where where now you are righteous that is how god sees you he sees you as though you accomplished what jesus did that's how you begin a relationship with god the moment you confess your sins and ask him to be your savior that transaction takes place i mean is it is amazing that is the message of the gospel that is what we've been praying for you and, and all of that, all of that was God's plan from the beginning, right? That was his plan all along. And we're going to see that here. That actually leads us right into the first thing here. It's on the screen for you. My king is risen and I will marvel at God's plan coming to fruition. Now in, in John chapter 20, where we're picking it up here uh, in the story, Okay, Jesus had, you know, he, he had already died at this point. He had been, you know, taken down off the cross. His body had been prepared for uh, for burial. And then he was placed in a tomb that was owned by a, a very wealthy man named Joseph. Of Arimathea, he was actually part of the council that was responsible uh, for condemning Jesus to death. Though the Bible tells us that that he didn't agree with that decision, he was he didn't want to be a part of that, and he was actually a seeker. He he wanted to know uh, about the kingdom of God. He was he was he was following and seeking for all of that. Okay, now this the the tomb after Jesus' body had been placed in it, it had been sealed by this massive stone. It was about 1.5 to to 2 tons. I mean this this huge stone was rolled in front to seal the tomb, okay, to seal the entrance there. And then what happened was the Romans who were in governance over over all of this, they placed Roman soldiers in place to to guard the tomb to make sure that nothing happened to Jesus' body. Okay. Now, now all of that being said, take a look at verse 1 now in chapter uh, 20 here as we pick it up in the story. And as I always say, really try and imagine, you know, the sights, the sounds, the feeling, try and place yourself, you know, in the very shoes of the people in this text that'll allow you to understand what they were experiencing and uh, and really kind of drink in this story. Here's what it says in verse one. It says, now uh, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, who was a, who was a friend of Jesus." Okay, it says that she came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Okay, so we're talking uh, Sunday morning now, okay, which became from, you know, that moment on after Easter, that became the traditional day. That churches would now gather. It used to be Saturday, right? That they would gather now on Sundays uh, for worship, which is pretty amazing. It's exactly what we are doing uh, today, all right. So, so Mary she sets out early on Sunday morning. Now, this is the third day after uh, Jesus had been killed, and she's going out to to mourn, right? To to grieve and pay her uh, respects. Now, keep going. He says that that she saw that the that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Okay. So, so just imagine now how, how shocking this would have been for her. Just imagine she, she, she wasn't expecting this uh, at all. There's no guards in sight. Okay. These guys were paid to stand there upon threat of death uh, if they had left. And so a really eerie scene, it would have been really, probably really quiet. The stone is, is gone. And so what does she do? Okay. Well, it tells us there in verse two, Ah, uh, She ran, okay, take a look. If she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loves. Well, who's that guy? Who's this other disciple? Well, we understand this to be uh, John, the very author of this gospel. And, and and it's a term here, the one whom Jesus loves suggests that they had a very close, tight-knit bond. You know, probably like like being best friends kind of thing, right, and we know that, that John was the guy who, who Jesus entrusted to care for his mother as Jesus was being led away uh, to be crucified, okay? That would be something that you would ask a best friend to do, okay? So, so Mary Magdalene now, she, she shows up at, at Peter's house and, and at John's front door, and, and she's you know, likely in a panic here, like wondering what, what is going on here. We'll keep going. Okay, she showed up and and said to them, uh, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. who's the we? Well, the other gospels actually explain that it wasn't just Mary. There were actually a number of other women with her at the time as well, but John focuses in on Mary. So she doesn't know where they've laid him. Okay, so look what it says. So Peter went out with the other disciple. Okay, this is John. And they were going towards the tomb. Okay, both of them were running together, okay? Now, now, just imagine their headspace here. Just imagine the emotions that they would have been going through, okay? The, the, the confusion about what is really happening. It's, you know, maybe the fear or, or, or anger even. What has happened to our, our friend as they grieve? Just trying to imagine what they would have been uh, feeling and experienced, okay? So they're both running together. It goes on, it says, but the other disciple... He okay, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in, okay? So, so John is just, he, you know, he gets there first. He's, he's stopped in his tracks by, by what he sees, okay? The, the cloths used to, you know, uh, wrap Jesus' body, you know, with spices and and perfumes, ointments, that kind of thing. He just sees them laying there, Okay, now verse six. Then Simon Peter came, He's a little bit of a slower runner, I guess, following him and went into the tomb. Okay, if you're familiar with uh, Peter uh, at all, as we are, you know, we, we are well aware of his you know, act first, think later, Uh, type mentality that he always has. So he just kind of barges right in. It says there that he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. You know, why do you think that it would mention those very specific details to us? Right? Well, well, probably to to give us uh, you know a clue here, a couple of clues uh, that this was not uh, a grave robbery. If you think about it, grave robbers they they hardly would have taken time to unwrap the body. Okay, they, they wouldn't have done that. You know, you picture yourself being a grave robber. You want to like get in and get out. You're going to grab the body. You're going to run out there. You're not going to take the time. Hmm, let's unfold this all very neatly and you know just. You know, you're not going to do that. Okay. You're going to go be quick. You're going to be, you're going to be in and you are going to be uh, out. Okay. And they certainly, okay. They certainly wouldn't have folded up the face cloth neatly and put it in a place uh, by itself. Okay. No, the, the, the face cloth laying there, you know, folded up as it was is evidence that, that, that Christ came back from the dead, took the face cloth off and folded it up and put it to the side himself, right? I, what an amazing thing to consider. What a detail there. And, and, and probably the very thing that, that, that John and Peter are processing as, as they see all of this here. You okay, know, verse eight, keep going. It says, and the other disciple... Okay, he would reach the tomb first, that's John. He also went in, and he saw, as he surveyed the scene, and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples, it says, went back to their homes. Okay, so so John he he follows. Peter into the tomb. He, he takes stock of, of everything that he's seeing the, the folded cloth, the, the, the garments that he was buried in, and he at once believes that Christ is risen. Hey, okay, what a moment. But yet at the same time, he still, he hasn't put it all together yet. As we often see the disciples all along the way, uh, that's just the case, right? They didn't understand, it says in verse nine, that the scriptures, right? Had foretold, not to mention that Jesus had himself told them a number of times that all of this would happen. Okay. Think about it. God's plan here had finally come to fruition, right, for, you know, centuries old. I mean, we have been, we've been tracking with this over the last several weeks here in our series, how at each step along the way in, in Jesus' earthly ministry, he was filling uh, fulfilling uh, prophecies that were, you know, several millennia uh, old, right, things that were promised from the, the very beginning. And I, and I mean that Literally, okay. From from the very start, God, in all of His sovereignty, okay, in all of His omniscience, which which He is, He is all knowing and all all powerful. That's His omnipotence. He He knew that that His creation, that's us, would rebel against Him. Okay, He He, he knew that He wasn't caught off guard by by any of our sin. He knew that sin would enter into the world through Adam and Eve. I mean, the very first people that he created. He knew that they would sin, that they would reject his rule and, and his rules and his, you know, him being God and being able to dictate how life should should look. He knew it was best for them. He knew that that mankind would reject that, would run away from that and and rebel. Okay? And he knew that that sin would would ruin the perfect relationship that he had originally created Adam and Eve to have with him. In fact, Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, uh, when God is doling out consequences to Satan and, and Adam and Eve for, for their sin, here's what God says to Satan. Okay, follow along with this here. He says, I will put enmity, enmity means hostility, I'll put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And then, and then notice this next word, he, okay, referring to a very specific person, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Hey, and yeah, we've looked at this verse before. Do you remember the, the kind of the theological name for this verse or the term for this? Right, it's called the Proto-Evangelium, meaning uh, first Gospel it is the very first mention of the gospel in the Bible. It's the first time that God hints that a rescue plan is in place, okay? Eve's offspring referring to Jesus pointing ahead to him, he will bruise or another other, other translation say crush Satan's head, okay? His, his head. He will destroy him. He will destroy his power over sin whereas Satan, it says, would merely bruise, okay, Christ's heel, okay, not his head, referring to how the cross was not actually spiritually a death blow uh, at all. Instead, it was the very means of our salvation and the grave would be defeated now through Christ's resurrection from the dead, okay? So, so just think about how how awesome a, a verse like genesis 3:15 is i mean immediately after sin enters into the picture in god's creation god lets us in on the fact listen I, i've i've got a plan to take care of all of this Right? I, I'm not gonna you know, just let you all you know, twist in the wind and, and, and suffer forever. He's like, Christ is coming. My own son is coming, the Messiah uh, to earth in the form of a man to defeat Satan and defeat the power of sin and death. He's gonna step in and he is going to rescue us from this mess that, that our sin created by sacrificing himself on a cross in our Place. Okay, what an incredible thing that God tells us, his people, that right from the beginning. Okay, this is what this is what Peter, John, and the disciples, they, they didn't quite realize all of this uh, yet. They didn't understand it. Okay, up to this point, remember they thought that that Jesus, that that the Messiah was gonna come and you know be an earthly king who would bring military victory and national you know, dominance and triumph to, uh, to Israel right? That's what they were kind of expecting. Little did they realize that that God was planning something much, much bigger than that. He was coming to to take care of, you know, and and save the world from uh, from sin, not just the Jews. He had something far more grand in mind, right? And we know from Acts chapter 1 and verse 3 that after his resurrection after he came back from the dead he would appear uh, to uh, many of his disciples many many people actually and spent time teaching them and instructing them and filling in all the blanks in their understanding and in their in their minds just how the the scriptures prophesied about his death his burial and his resurrection okay and there are actually Uh, well over 300 very specific prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah that would come to fruition in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I mean, there are so many of them, but let's just look at uh, a couple of them here, okay? Because I think this will encourage us so much. If you wanna just jot down Psalm 22, okay? Psalm 22 is one of them. We're gonna see a bunch of them here in Psalm 22. And then Isaiah chapter uh, 53. Okay, Psalm 22, understand that Psalm 22 was written a thousand years before Easter. A thousand years before Christ died and was buried and then rose. In Psalm 22 in verse 16, it talks about how the Messiah would have his hands and feet pierced, okay? Now, that's the exact thing that happened to Jesus. That's exactly what crucifixion is. He would hoist them up on the cross and then pierce them through the hands and through the feet and hold them there as an excruciating, awful death uh, that the Romans practiced uh, quite regularly. It actually says this in in Psalm 22. In verse 17 of Psalm 22, it says that the Messiah's bones would not be broken. They usually, when someone was, was crucified, uh, what they would do is they would hang there excruciatingly for, for days sometimes, hours at the very least. And so, you know, to kind of speed things up a little bit, the soldiers, those in charge there would actually break their legs so they wouldn't be able to push up and get a breath. And see, that was really the death by by crucifixion. You actually suffocate as as your lungs collapse and you would be down. So they would no longer be able to to stand up on their feet and take a breath and prolong the, the crucifixion. All of that though, that never happened with Jesus. His bones were not broken. And the New Testament records this in John chapter 19, starting in verse 31. You can go read that on your own time. Now Psalm 22 we're still in it here a final verse we'll look at there is verse 18 okay it says that men will divide up his his garments and cast lots For his clothing—that's the very thing that the soldiers did with Jesus in Matthew 27, verse 35. Amazing to think that all of that was prophesied—you know, very specific prophecies—a thousand years before Jesus came, and all of that was fulfilled perfectly in Him. Now, Isaiah 53—that's the other section that we'll look at there. That's known as the Suffering Servant prophecy, and it was written uh, about seven, more than 700 years before Christ. And it says there in verse three that the Messiah will be rejected, okay? And we know that Christ was rejected by his his own people, the the Jews, the Israelites, the very people that he came to save, they were the ones that said, no, you are not the Messiah. In fact, we want you dead. And they were the ones that roped the Romans into uh, accomplishing that uh, for them, if you keep going in Isaiah 53 in verses five to nine, it says that the Messiah will be killed as a sacrifice uh, for the sins of his people, which is exactly what he was. In, in verse seven, it says that the Messiah will be silent in front of his accusers. In, in Matthew 27, uh, starting in verse 11, we see that that is the case. Jesus is silent when the chief priests are accusing him. And when, when Pilate is asking him questions, he doesn't, he doesn't answer them, he is silent. In Isaiah 53, verse 9, it says that the Messiah will be buried uh, with the rich. And I also actually already mentioned that. And in Matthew 27, Joseph of Arimathea gives up his, his tomb, gives his tomb, uh, so that Jesus' body could be uh, buried um, there. Okay? And then in, in verse 12 of Isaiah 53, it says that the Messiah will, will be with criminals In his death. And we know that's exactly what happened uh, to Jesus. In Luke chapter uh, 23, in verses 32 to 43, we see that he was hung between two criminals. Okay, each and every one of these prophecies and so many others, hundreds of them, okay, perfectly fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In fact, in fact, the 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 entire Old Testament, if you think about it, is, is just constantly and continually pointing towards our need for a savior. Okay, if you think about the law, some of us might, might think of that as, as the 10 commandments, right? You've heard that before, that's like God's top 10, but you know, the first five books of the Bible are considered the law and that is where the law is explained and we get a lot of, you know, here's how you should live, here's how you should not live. Okay, all of that was, was to really uh, show and expose to, to mankind that we can't possibly you know, follow all of these commands. We can't do all of the good things that God commands us to do. We can't stay away from all of the, the bad things that God commands us not to do. And all of that is, is to, to, to have left mankind feeling helpless and I need, I need a savior. I, I need someone to fix this because I have transgressed the law. So all of that is pointing to our need for a Messiah. But you even think about a character like Moses in the Old Testament, Right? Moses was the guy who, who God used, who sent into Egypt. God's people were in slavery in Egypt, and he used Moses to lead his people out of slavery. Moses is, is what we would call a type of Christ. He is a picture of what Jesus would come and do in the ultimate sense. As as Moses rescued his people from, from, from physical slavery, Jesus would come and rescue all of mankind from spiritual slavery to sin. Okay, one more, David. David is another guy who would be considered a type of Christ. He was like the ultimate king over God's people. They had asked for a king, and then David was that king. He was a conquering king, and now Jesus would come, and he would be the ultimate king. He would be the true conquering king who would conquer Satan, sin, and sin and death. They think about all of these things, and there's so many more examples that if we had time, we could go through many more of them. These were all, all glimpses of what was to come, what Christ would come and fulfill and be the ultimate example and representation of, all of it foreshadowing that Jesus, okay, was God's plan coming to fruition, That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, three and four, see it there, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So he's like, this is the message that I'm declaring to you, that Christ died for our sins, notice this, in accordance with the scriptures, just like the scriptures had foretold, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. And he says it again, in accordance with the scriptures. Okay, so the, 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 the Bible, okay, is so unified from from start to finish. Everything in it points to the cross and points to the resurrection, how Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. How, how amazing how, that, that this book is so unified, written over a period of thousands of, uh, of years by so many different authors and their message is all the same. Just incredible how God gave us this book and how his his plan was not going to be stopped. It all came true in Jesus. I mean, how amazing is it that God, you know, would, would, would give his people such hope, right? That he just reminds people all throughout history and all through the Bible, listen, I, I'm coming for you, okay? okay? Don't, don't worry, I'm gonna make all things new. I'm going to make a way so that your sins can be forgiven forever and you can find eternal life in me. That that chasm that our, our sins had created between us and God. He, he bridged that gap. He, he fixed that forever through the cross and through the empty tomb, right? That was the emphatic statement that it was all accomplished, Right, just as God designed, just as God had, had planned and promised, right, it was the, it was, it was the empty grave. I mean, do you, do you realize that this was God's plan all along from the very beginning? Right, and does it cause you to marvel? Right, even as you you, you hear some of these verses from from you know, hundreds, if not a thousand years before Jesus came and fulfilled it. And you look at how the Bible is so unified in all this. This is not just like blow your mind and, and make you wanna glorify the Lord and, and worship him and, and thank him for the cross and thank him rising you know, from the dead, right? And, and maybe for you, are like, man, just, just get John back up here, like leading us in some songs. Like I, I'm ready to worship. I, I'm ready to respond in this way. I don't feel like I need any more. But listen, listen. There is more here. There's more to come, and it's just so important. We'll stir up our worship even further. Here's the final thing. My king is risen, and I will love and honor him with my whole heart. Okay, the the narrative now in our passage here in John uh, 20. Shifts back to uh, Mary, uh, who had returned back to the empty tomb. Okay, after Peter and John had left, and you know, and she's still in that place of uh, uh, of being overcome with grief and 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 sorrow and trying to figure it all out. She assumes that the tomb has been violated. Now we'll see this here in verse eleven. It says, "But Mary uh, stood weeping outside the tomb. Right, because she was heartbroken. Okay, And, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and and she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus, the body of Jesus, had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Now, it doesn't appear that she realizes there's angels, because every time we know in the scriptures, when a person sees an angel and they they know it's an angel, they they cower in fear. It's a very terrifying moment. They're very impressive beings, but she doesn't seem to know it. In verse 13, she said to them, Ah, oh, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Again, so she's so distraught here at the, at the thought of his body being uh, desecrated, right? Her desire would be that he would be shown much greater respect, obviously. And it says there, having, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. Okay, but look, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Okay, so she didn't, she didn't realize, you know, or, or recognize him uh, at all. Maybe she didn't look at him, him carefully, or, or perhaps she was prevented uh, from, from recognizing him. We know that Jesus uh, did that until he decided it was time that the disciples would realize that it was actually him uh, that they were talking uh, to. But then, verse 15 here, it says, Jesus uh, said to her, uh, Woman, why are you weeping? You know, whom are you seeking? And then it says, supposing him to be the gardener, kind of funny. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. You see how her desire again is just so strong. She wants to honor him. Okay, in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Okay, now verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not Cling to me, all right? So obviously, in her relief, and you know, she's she's overjoyed. She just expresses her love to him by by grabbing hold of him and you know tightly. And so he's saying, you know, uh, do not cling to me. So he says, for I have not yet ascended, gone up to the Father, but go, he says, to my brothers, the other disciples, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now. Uh, telling Mary to not uh, cling to him here it might seem at first glance like kind of a chilly response, but but it's really not, because because Jesus he knew her heart, he knew her intentions there, and that, and in her her joy and her relief and, and and all of that in her clinging for those reasons, she was essentially saying, listen, I, I am never letting you go again, right? Have you ever like lost a child, you know, in a, in a busy crowd at a mall or something and you find them, like that's, that's how you feel. She's probably feeling something like that, probably even more so I would imagine here. Okay. But, but Jesus, here's the thing. He would only be staying another 40 days before ascending and, and being at the right side, right hand of his father. Matthew chapter 28 tells us that. Okay, and then and then, sending, of course, his, his disciples, the promised Holy Spirit, and, and Jesus would then be overseeing the launch of his church. We see all of those things in the book of Acts, the very series that we'll be getting back into uh, starting uh, next week, okay? Now, finally, uh, verse 18, uh, take a look. It says, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. In these verses here we just see this this strong desire this this strong response in Mary to to love and and honor Jesus with her whole heart. she is she's all about it right she she first of all she wants to honor his his body when she thought that he you know had been had been defiled when the tomb had been defiled when when she first recognizes him she calls him a rabboni, which means teacher of course it says there but but it's also actually also a, a stronger title than uh, than the word rabbi it was used to express great honor and and it was a stronger expression of reverence it can also mean beloved teacher. And of course, when she clings to him here in this moment, it's out of relief and it's out of joy that, that, that she sees him and he's alive, of course, but it's also a clear, pretty clear sign of, of how much she, she loves him, right? The love that she had for Christ. And on top of that, we see her love expressed in that she obeys him. Because okay, Jesus had said earlier, back in John chapter 14, actually in verse 15, that if you love me, you will keep my commands. Okay, so what does Jesus command her to do? Well, he tells her to go and tell his disciples, again, that he would be ascending to his father shortly. And so what does our text tell us? Well, it tells us that she did that very thing. She runs to them just like he told her to. He says, I've, She says, I've seen the Lord and then relays everything that he had said to her. Okay, so listen. All of that there, as, as we look at, and Mary as the example, all of this really points to what our response should be. It's to love and honor the Lord with our whole hearts, right? That's it, with everything that we've got, just as we see Mary do here. And, and yeah, our our our, our joy and, and and our gratitude and and our our desire for him should absolutely be firing on all cylinders. It should be it should be very stirred up on Easter as we explore a text like this, and and our passion should be absolutely redlining and all of that. But but at the very same time, here can I just you know caution us here for for just a moment against emotionalism. Okay, emotions being expressed that, that, that's very appropriate and and very good right Mary's a great example of, of expressing multiple emotions here okay but Easter Sunday or or really any Sunday isn't just about you know getting us getting whipped up into some kind of emotional frenzy just for emotions sake right just to feel good and warm and fuzzy inside. Like the, ba- the pastor better say something, you know, to kind of pick me up out of my stupor or, or, or the worship and the music better be a certain way so that I have that, that emotional experience again. That is not the goal, okay? That, that's emotionalism, okay? Like, like, like a spiritual drug and, and kind of a high that can be very easy to, to fall into and to just be chasing after. And I'm trying to get that spiritual high constantly. That's not what we're going for here. Hey, listen, listen, loving and honoring Christ with our whole hearts here, biblically understood, is when you and I respond to what we're reading today, to the gospel, that our King is risen, he's alive, on on, on a heart and on on a mind and and a volition, which is our will, on an emotional level, and also on, on an obedience level where we like 100% surrender our lives wholeheartedly to him, right? To follow him no, no matter, you know, where he leads, no matter what happens, what he calls us to, okay? That is a radical calling that is placed on believers, but, but this is exactly what, what Mary and the disciples do, and we see the the disciples display their their love and and honor for Christ and and their response to, to, to him being alive. We see them display that through the rest of the New Testament, right? And how they worship him passionately, how, how how they pray with such such fervency and rely on him in that way, how how they just immerse themselves into the text, into the scriptures, and, and, and they fearlessly evangelize. They want to tell everybody about what Christ has done, how that they go on from there and they they plant churches and, and they make disciples, right? This is just full surrender of their lives, their plans, what they wanted it to be, totally into the the furthering of, of God's kingdom right? That is how they love him. That is how they honor the risen King with their whole hearts. And that right there is the response that Easter drives you and I to as well. All right, so church, what'll your response be today, right? Well, what's it going to be? Will, will you respond by by? by first repenting of your sin and trusting Jesus as savior if if you've never done that. Right? Can I urge you in a, as strong of a way as possible to, to, to do that, right? If you're a guest with us here today and, and you've never heard the gospel, know that God loves you. And that's why he went through all of this on Good Friday. And that's why he rose from the grave to, to pay for your sins so that you can be forgiven and that you can be in a relationship with the one true living God, the God who made you and has a plan for your life. He, he, this is why he did We surrender to him. Will you do that Today. Let us know if you've done that or if you have questions about what any of that uh, means if if that, any of that is fuzzy to you. Okay, and for us as, as Christ followers here, okay, for the rest of us, you know, as we see that that Jesus is risen, right? Will will we respond by by loving him and 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 honoring him with our whole hearts. Okay, not not halfway. Okay, not kind of, you know, one foot in, one foot out, right? If the average person could look at your life and and not have a clue that you're a Christian, that suggests that a further response is required. That our hearts are not fully in, fully surrendered to his will, no matter what and no matter where he leads you. Remember, our King is risen right we will rejoice we will rejoice today we will rejoice every day we will continue to look at this as our hope and as our joy we will glorify him every moment that we get and listen i want to i want to pray for us right now okay and then we're going to we're going to sing we're going to exalt jesus we're going to thank him we're going to glory in him as our response to these things join me as i pray lord we come before you and we thank you so much for all of this lord right, to even say this just feels like I, I can't muster up enough and, and how strongly I mean that, Lord. And so God, I pray that, that as your church you know, glories in the gospel again and, and, and looks back at the events of Easter Sunday and, and thinks about these things and, and celebrates these things Lord, I pray that we would be respond, uh, stirred to respond by loving you and honoring you with our whole lives. Lord, you're not just looking for us to be, you know, jumping on some emotional hype train and, and be kind of excited and, and feel good about some things until that kind of wears off later this afternoon. No, Lord, you want, you want our very lives and Lord, you, deserve that. You deserve everything that we have. Lord, I pray that we would surrender our will, our lives, our thinking, our plans, all of it to you so that you would use us, Lord, in the furthering of your kingdom. And so God, encourage us in these things, Lord. I pray that as we sing now, Lord, you would be be honored, Lord. That's what we want. We want to thank you and praise you and make much of you Lord, be glorified. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.